You're listening to the Rewilding Earth Podcast. Rewilding Earth podcast is supported by businesses such as Patagonia, Catula, and Biohabitats, as well as the Whedon Foundation and listeners like you. If you love the work that the Rewilding Institute is doing, please consider donating at rewilding.org. And be sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter while you're there. Christine Millen has had a long conservation career. She's the former vice president of the IUCN, former leader of the Australian Green Party, and current Global Greens ambassador. She took up the role of co-convener of the Lake Petter Restoration Committee in the lead-up to the United Nations Decade of Ecological Restoration to campaign for an agreement to restore Lake Petter and surrounding environs. Based in the beautiful island state of Tasmania, where she grew up, Christine has worked for decades to protect some of the world's great wild places, beautiful and inspiring places like Tasmania's Franklin River, its World Heritage Forests, and New Caledonia's Coral Reefs. But when she was appointed to Australia's first ever Greenhouse Gas Council in 1990, she realized that it's not enough to secure nature and ecosystems in protected areas. Global warming knows no boundaries. That's why she's dedicated her life to transforming the relationships people have with the planet and each other. It's also why she works so hard at changing the economic tools and political frameworks that govern those relationships so they're socially just, ecologically sustainable, and not warped by the power of corporations that refuse to change their business model. In the summer of 2021, it will be 50 years since Lake Petter was flooded. According to Christine and many others working to save the lake, it's time to wake the lake. Today, learn about the plan to rewild Lake Petter and how you can help make it happen. Lake Petter was a most beautiful uh, glacial outwash lake in the island of Tasmania. Now, for those of you who don't know where Tasmania is, it's the island state to the south of mainland Australia. Next stop, Antarctica. In our port here in Hobart, we have quite a few of the Antarctic scientific vessels where they come to stock up before they head south. We are a beautiful natural island. 40% of our land area is in World Heritage and that's something I have fought for for a long time. I'm Christine Milne. I was the leader of the Australian Green Party here in Australia in the Federal Senate for some years but I was also a vice president of the International Union for the Conservation of Nature. So I'm really passionate about rewilding, about ecosystem restoration, and about protecting what we've got left, not just because it's a nature-based solution to global warming, but also because of its intrinsic value as nature, as humanity, as something just absolutely essential to our well-being. So Lake Pedder, beautiful little lake, it was 10 square kilometers, but what made it so special, it was an alpine lake, but it had a pink quartzite beach, absolutely sparkling, beautiful beach. And imagine it, it was three kilometers long and one kilometer wide so that light planes could actually fly into the wilderness, land on the beach and people could camp there and then walk to various other parts of the wilderness. It was the site of a national park, uh, made a national park in 1955. 
And then of course, along came the dam builders and dam building in Tasmania was huge in the 1960s and 70s. Virtually every river that could be dammed ended up with a dam on it. And the Hydroelectric Commission, which was the state-based utility, decided that it wanted to build the biggest sheet of water in the Southern Hemisphere. So it was this engineering, we can conquer nature, we can have this huge sheet of water. And so they dammed Lake Pedder as a storage lake to the Gordon Hydroelectric System. So Lake Pedder is now under an impoundment. The original lake was 10 square kilometres. The impoundment is 242 square kilometres. That's a big sheet of water. And so the plan for the Lake Pedder Restoration Group is to remove those three dams, let the water go and restore the original lake, the river system, that supported it, the Serpentine River, and all the ecosystems around it. So it's a big task. It would be a huge restoration project, but it's exciting. How long has this fight been going on? Since the very day they announced that they were going to uh, dam uh, the rivers and uh, flood Lake Pedder, there was a huge movement, not just in Australia, but all around the world. We had uh, conservationists, uh, people like uh, Prince Philip, for example, the Duke of Edinburgh. We had um, activists, everyone around the world saw this as a huge travesty and absolutely uh, vandalism of one of the most beautiful sites in the world. And so a big campaign started here in Australia to prevent the flooding of Lake Pedder. And the state government, the federal government opposed it, were all fully in favour of building the dams. And so as a result, the world's very first Green Party set up here in Tasmania called the United Tasmania Group. And it contested the election in 1972 on a platform of saying that the environment has to be central to politics. Now that was a huge philosophical shift in politics and that uh, has led to green parties all around the world. We now have green parties in 90 countries. We're all aligned under a global greens charter and that all started here in Tasmania with the United Tasmania Group, then the New Zealand Values Party and then Petra Kelly, who later formed the German Greens, visited Tasmania she saw what, the, what we were doing as far as a political movement was concerned. She went back to Germany, established the German Greens and contested the European elections as the Greens. And so that's where it all came from. So Lake Pedder not only has a huge ecological significance, but it also has enormous cultural significance because this was the birthplace of green politics or more particularly, the ethos that in politics, the environment is central. What has changed now that would make people amenable to re restoring Lake Petter? But I mean, because you're still going to have to win over legislatures and, and, and officials at some point in order for the restoration to go forward. How are you going to win that very last inch of battlefield? 
Well, we've got exactly the same problem now as we had 50 years ago, the state government, the federal government and the hydroelectric utility all oppose the restoration of Lake Pedder. Now in the early days and until now, or until the last few years anyway, the argument has been, oh, well, if you take out the dams and you take out the energy that is stored in Lake Pedder from the system and the lights will go out in Tasmania, you will destroy energy security. However, that argument evaporated uh, with the rapid rollout of new wind farms, solar farms and a link to the mainland called Bass Link. So there really was no argument anymore that this was an issue of energy security. But now with the uh, rapid uh, transition from fossil fuel, from coal-fired generation to renewables, the Tasmanian government has got excited about the possibility of exporting renewable energy from Tasmania to mainland Australia. And so they now argue that if you remove the lake, you then every litre of water you remove has a dollar value to them in an export market. So I've done uh, quite a lot of work on this and we um, commissioned a study from the Victorian Energy Policy Centre. And what it demonstrated is that battery technology has leapfrogged uh, a dam storage, if you like, as a battery. So instead of Lake Pedder as being a battery, you now have um, modern battery systems which uh, can just be installed. They're quite flexible. They can be moved to where you need them. And in fact, that battery technology has leapfrogged dams as batteries. But the Tasmanian government and Australian government are yet to accept that. So a lot of the uh, argument around Lake Pedder is now going to be to demonstrate that not only do we not need it in terms of energy security, somehow going to be a big money spinner for Tasmania is also incorrect. So we've got a lot of um, argument out there at the moment. And what I'm arguing is that instead of this dig it up, cut it down, ship it away mentality that exists in our island, whether it's forests, whether it's um, minerals or whether it's water for energy, we should be saying with energy, let's make Tasmania a place where you have a fully electrified transport fleet, where your agriculture system is fully electrified. Let's use our energy in Tasmania to, to have a circular economy that is fully renewable based instead of going trying to rev up everything and destroy more to export power because not only do they want to keep using Lake Pedder, they want to build more and more pumped hydro, new wind farms, new everything which is lots of transmission lines and so on, none of it for the benefit of our island, all to go to the mainland when the mainland doesn't actually need it. So not only are they not giving up the ghost, they're they're wanting to... Yeah, they're doubling down. You're listening to the Rewilding Earth podcast. Did you know we also publish insightful and inspirational content from leading rewilding scholars, poets, artists, and organizers from around the world? You can visit rewilding.org and sign up for our weekly digest to receive brilliant, fresh insights on everything rewilding. You'll find over a decade of articles and news from the front lines of wildlands protection and all kinds of restoration efforts. Check us out at rewilding.org and don't forget to share it with friends. Where do you get your little wins? Where do you get your 
you know, the things that keep you going? My first real foray into political activism as an environmentalist was in 1983 when I was arrested and put in prison trying to stop the construction of the Franklin Dam in Tasmania. And we won. 1983, we won and we stopped the Franklin Dam and it still runs wild to the sea. Then I ran a major campaign against uh, the Wesley Vale pulp mill, which was a Naranda of Canada and North Broken Hill joint project, and we won. And so I went into the parliament then as an independent and worked for the World Heritage Listing, but they kept the forests out. And so for the next 21 years, I worked in parliaments with my colleagues to get the forests in. And finally, in 2013, Tasmania's forests went into the World Heritage Area. And this has been the pattern that you don't win first up, you win and then you have to fight again for the same things. But each time there are incremental gains, incremental gains. My overwhelming fear now though is global warming is just swamping everything, that everything we've protected, everything we've looked after is at threat now. So we are in, in the fight of our lives for this decade in terms of bringing down emissions. But um, why, uh, how you get the strength to keep going? Well, it's a choice. And that's what I say to people. You can choose um, your rational mind can be pessimistic, but you choose optimism of the will because it's not going to make any difference probably in the long term, but it makes you feel a lot better along the way uh, to be working for something positive. And one thing I have noticed in all my uh, campaigning over so many years is the happiest people are the people who have a purpose in their lives, who have something better, greater than themselves that they're fighting for that makes them happy. So I think that's, that's as good as you can get really to work for something that matters. That's amazing. So I think people must then look at you as someone who knows how these things work and gets them done. Like to, to be able to say that you've worked on projects where the dams didn't actually happen because of the work that you and others did, that, that I would naturally look to someone like you and go, okay, well, she knows how this feels at least to win in such a, in such a situation. I mean, it's probably, would you say it's easier to win a battle where the dam has not been built yet than it is after a dam has been built? It, it feels like that. It feels like that, but we have no experience in Australia of pulling down dams at all. So, um, None of us in the Australian conservation movement have as anything like the sense of what it must have been like when the Elwha Dam came down. And I've seen uh, Patagonia's film Damnation and I'm just totally inspired by the work that went on with that. So in Australia, we don't have that experience. And so people here just, just don't believe that dams come down, you know, that they're there forever, even though they have a shelf life, it doesn't matter. People just see them as permanent infrastructure projects sitting there. Whereas in the US and in Europe, there's now quite a history of bringing down dams. So you asked about how we're we going to move the, the local and the national politics. Well, the way we've always won this with the Franklin Dam, with the Wesleyvale pulp mill, with the forests, um, with everything I've ever campaigned on is to take it global and bring it home. So what we've always done 
is work through global treaty systems, take it to UNESCO because they oversee the World Heritage Convention. So once you've got something listed as World Heritage, you go to them and say, help us in Australia. So Lake Pedder is currently in the Tasmanian Wilderness World Heritage Area. Under the World Heritage Convention, there is a guideline which says that when anything that was degraded in that World Heritage Area reaches the end of its life, like a quarry or a, a, in this case, a dam, then the state party, Australia, has an obligation to rehabilitate it. And so we will be working with that. The second thing is this is the beginning of the United Nations decade of ecosystem restoration. And I think for conservationists around the world, this is really exciting because we now have the 50th anniversary of the inundation of Lake Pedder at the beginning of the UN decade. So what a project for the decade to have this restored. And I think if we can get an alliance with groups in America all around the world, working to restore particular ecosystems and get it all under the banner of the UN ecosystem restoration, together with the Bonn um, declaration, which was to restore and bring back so much of the natural world. I think that alliance of people makes it really powerful. So that's why I'm so grateful to have this opportunity to talk to you today, because I would love the support of your listeners for the restoration of Lake Pedder. But equally, we as the Lake Pedder Restoration Group would be keen to support groups in the United States working for restoration whether it's pulling down dams or wetlands or you know whatever it is. You have our support. I can speak for everybody uh, who listens to this show because we're all the same <laughs> about, the, about dams uh, pretty much anywhere. But I'm curious, you mentioned earlier that you don't have salmon like we have in the Pacific Northwest to use as, as a, a really big um, club. <laughs> and, but I was also wondering how much siltation has to do with the life expectancy in this case, because I remember seeing some piece of a documentary where um, they went down to the bottom to see if they could still see the quartz beach. And that they said that there was only a few millimeters of silt on top of that. So that it, as a hopeful sign that it would be so hard to restore, but that, but I was thinking 50 years and only a few millimeters what it, that does, some of the things that are 50 years old here in the United States are almost completely full or are going to be in the very foreseeable future full of silt. So I feel like you don't have the same situation there as we're used to here either. That's right. And we haven't got that major uh, buildup of silt in the, in the system. And especially we were concerned after the bushfires went through in the southwest wilderness that uh, there would be a lot of runoff of debris into the lake, but that hasn't transpired. That's one of the reasons why we sent down the submersible to see how much uh, silt was covering the beach, because it is the beach that uh, everybody has in their minds as this iconic image of Lake Pedder. So we wanted to make sure that the beach would be able to be restored. So we, um, we gave a consultant, consultancy to a restoration ecologist to have a look at the issues. What, what would it take? Because as I said, the lake itself was only 10 square kilometers, the impoundments 242 uh, square kilometers. So there's a lot of area that wasn't lake that has to be restored. So we wanted to make sure that the vegetation would be able to regenerate. 
we wanted to look at all the issues. And the exciting thing is that it's all doable from an ecological perspective. The main issue for us is how quickly you would draw it down. So we've got platypus in that ecosystem, for example, and you'd want to make sure that you, do, you did it slowly enough so that they could adjust in the area. But also the peat soils. This is the key thing to vegetation restoration. If we, put, if we pull it down too quickly or over the summer, for example, and the peat soils dried out and, and broke down, then we'd be in real trouble. So we're going, we will, if we get it, and when we get it, I should say, to a point where the government makes a decision, what we've done is identify all the critical issues that then will require uh, honing in on that detail of how quickly to pull the water down um, and to, to look at the competing interests of species, of peat soils, of regeneration of the vegetation types. But, you know, the exciting thing is that um, the lake itself has quite a few threatened vegetation um, uh, types, we would see areas, you know, restored. So we've got uh, freshwater aquatic herb land, there's sedge lands that uh, will be restored and Banksia marginata uh, areas. And they are the interface between the rainforest and the moorlands and so on. And the moorlands have adapted to fire uh, in ecological time, but the rainforest of course hasn't. And so restoring some of this interface will be useful as well. So I think it's a really, it's a really exciting project. And the more you go into it, um, the more you can see the ecological benefits. And um, the other thing that um, culturally I think is, is interesting and I'd like to learn from the US as to whether you've found this. Fighting to protect a place before it happens leads to a lot of conflict for obvious reasons between those promoting the development and those opposed. When it comes to restoration, a lot of the people who had the skills necessary to build dams and so on have got the skills that are necessary to rehabilitate. And so the potential to create local employment and bring people together uh, seems to be great, to be one of the uh, positives about restoration quite apart from the ecological benefits. Has that been something that you've found in the US? Well, the argument is being put forth right now with our 30 by 30 um, campaign backed by the current administration, in fact, put forth <laughs> which is a very strange feeling. Um, we've had yeah. support in decades past from administrations, but nothing, nothing like this. Um, it was, always, you know, support for wilderness uh, protection and support. Those kinds of things weren't in the public view. They were just a handshake, uh, you know, behind the scenes between conservationists and friendly people in the, in the administration. This is completely out in the open. And the prime argument for um, how we achieve 30 by 30 is um, all of the jo jobs that people may lose to fracking, to all of the other things. These people are perfectly suited for the new jobs yeah. that there should be no net loss and really rather a net gain of jobs because so much more is there to do than just um, there's a lot more people to employ to do the work of 30 by 30. Uh, the Citizen Conservation Corps would be made up of people uh, like this. They wouldn't be all people 
um, that are, you know, low skill level and just labor, there'd be an awful lot of engineers who may exactly. have lost a job at a fracking site, but gained an even better job putting yeah. something together or taking something apart in the right way. Well, it's great news, the 30 by 30. So I hope that, uh, that there are enough people on the ground to operationalize it. You know, hopefully people will start to understand that what is being considered here, this infrastructure stuff, the things that need to be put back, the things that need to be done um, with infrastructure for uh, the climate crisis all requires lots of hands on deck and not Absolutely. just labor, but experienced people as well. It's going to raise all ships. Yeah. Um, I, I imagine if we were this big back when blacksmiths went out, there would have been some outrage over the loss of an entire industry when the horseless carriage came to be, but uh, we'll never know because nobody batted an eye. They all just got in their cars and, you know, put their horses out to pasture. And that was that for that whole industry. Here, it's um, very promising because anybody losing jobs in one area should be able to find an equivalent or better job. Yeah, so I think this is, it is a coming together. Um, that what you've got in the United States, we don't have anything like that in Australia yet, but of course we will learn from this and the Biden administration does give us some hope. I have to say that it feels like the momentum has shifted on climate and on conservation. Um, that remains to be seen, of course, but it feels a lot more positive than it did just a short while ago. So you have to take that and grasp it and go with it. And as I said, I think the UN decade, uh, no doubt the Biden administration will be linking some of the 30 by 30 to the UN decade initiatives. So that's where we have to think, work together and make sure we all become projects as part of that initiative. So here's the big moment. How can we support you? How can we help? Well, it's, it's uh, just great to be able to lift the awareness that we have a, a brilliant opportunity in Tasmania to restore uh, a whole area in the southwest in the Tasmanian wilderness. Of course, we're raising funds because we need to be able to take this message to the world and prepare um, more communications materials and also for our lobbying efforts and our engineering studies and so on, because we're certainly not getting any help from the government in terms of preparing the studies that would see that would undermine their position. So any of the foundations in the US that are interested in ecosystem restoration, we'd be keen to hear about so that we can um, seek that financial support, that would be great. But if people would just go to our website, um, which is lakepeta.org, and just become a supporter of the campaign. And that way you'll get the newsletters and the updates and um, yeah, just collaborate with us as, as friends and colleagues. And we're keen to hear also um, from your uh, group and the members with rewilding and ecosystem restoration in the US as well. So that sharing of information, but our website is a good place to start. And we'd love it if you became supporters or joined us in the campaign. For those of you who are thinking, well, I have things going on in my backyard that I'm a dam of my own that I would dearly love to see torn down. And we're working very hard for that. And you're thinking, I wish them well. Well, picture this giant, giant lake going away, this 50-year battle ending in a way that 
sends a resounding crash around the world. This is not going to happen in the quiet, in the darkness. This is going to be a really big deal. And imagine your project that you care about in your backyard being helped along greatly by the momentum of something like this, the restoration of Lake Petter uh, happening. It will be a shot heard around the world when it does, and it's going to help. I think we're all helping each other as we work on these damn dams and bringing any of them down is bringing a momentum to this whole thing. That's why we have so much of this programming on the Rewilding Earth podcast um, is because there's a momentum building and we can't avoid it. You damn people are coming out of the woodwork and, uh, and, and it's it for a good reason because this needs to happen and it is happening all over the world. So this is momentum. And I would suggest that everybody be very concerned about that and support any project like this, no matter where in the world it's happening, because it's happening to all of us, no matter where it's happening. Thank you. And I, and I do take that point. And I, it's like, who would have thought that a political party started in Tasmania in 1972 would lead to the world's Green Parties and have people in government ministers all over Europe, um, in many European countries, foreign minister for Finland is a green. Um, the deputy prime minister of Sweden is a green. In Germany, there are greens. You know, anyway, you know yeah. that they're everywhere. And who would have thought from a tiny island in <laughs> right next door to the Southern Ocean, there would be a philosophical shift? The same thing, I think, happened with our World Heritage Area. That has inspired people all over the world to push for world heritage for natural areas. And I think the same can happen with the restoration of PETA, that it will achieve a, a global status as one of the great projects of this decade, if not century. Christine, thank you so much from across the world joining us. Um, we really, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. And please do come back and please keep us up to date. Oh, great. Thank you so much. And I look forward to talking to you again. Thanks for listening to the Rewilding Earth podcast. We do what we do because of you. This podcast is supported by listeners like you who long to live in a wilder world. Please consider donating at rewilding.org and subscribe to our weekly news and article digest while you're there. To go the extra mile, you can follow and share Rewilding Earth on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Bonus points for sharing this podcast with your friends. To listen to past episodes, go to rewilding.org slash pod. That's rewilding.org slash pod.